The wait is over. The Shy returns with new episodes on Paramount+. Plus. What brings you to the Shy? Opportunity. Everybody get down! Walk right up to the A new rain is coming to the South Side. Never should have sent a boy to do a woman's job. The Shy. New episodes May 10th. Visit ParamountPlus.com slash The Shy to get a 50% discount off the Paramount Plus with Showtime annual plan. Offer ends July 14th. Subscription auto-renews. Restrictions apply. You try and take it easy on them, and the casuals just rain blows down upon you. Um, So tonight... Tonight, tonight, in the words of Phil Collins, I think it's time for us to punch back a little bit. Now, we're going to punch down because by default, when you're fighting a casual, you're punching down. But we got to do it uh, for the sanctity of all that is good on this show. Late Kick is live. It is Tuesday, October 3rd, the year of our Lord, 2023, jam-packed high atop. Just a, just a picture-perfect downtown Nashville, Tennessee. we got full week six predictions. Please don't misunderstand me. This show is and always will be on Tuesdays centered around predictions. I've got... What do we got, Jesse? We, we certainly got the game we're going to, OU Texas. We got Bama A&M. We got Georgia Kentucky. Uh, we're going to do Notre Dame Louisville. We're going to do a lot of games tonight, actually. New JP poll, mere moments from now, minutes from now. We have a new number one tonight. Spoiler alert. And also another team that's not going to be inside the top 25, but I'm going to talk about in just a second. As I said, uh, we got some casual affity to deal with and it's in the vein of Deion Sanders but it's really not a Deion Colorado thing as much as it just is an ignorance thing and we are anti-ignorance on this show always have been always will be they're watching us in Fayette Alabama St. Joseph Missouri Detroit Michigan Columbia Kentucky thank you guys so much now I just got the numbers in for September I'm not going to bore you with how great they were but trust me clap for you guys they were great But it occurs to me every time I look at those numbers, we've got tens of thousands of new people coming to this show every month. And uh, that's a conservative number. So thank you. Welcome. I know a lot of this stuff doesn't make sense. I know a lot of the phraseology doesn't make sense. Why does this dude say immunity so many times per show? It'll all make sense in time. But what I do want you to know is this show is free. We don't charge a dime for it. All I need you to do, if you have not already, is subscribe to the YouTube channel and subscribe to the podcast. Do both of those, and it'll always be free. That's it. There's no further catch. Thank you guys so much. And if you want a little added entertainment, especially on Friday nights and Saturday afternoons, at Late Kick Josh, Twitter and Instagram. Okay, let's dive in. I'm so excited about this week. I don't even have to try and hide it. It is Red River Shootout Week. The Cotton Bowl, Dallas, Texas, Texas versus Oklahoma, Oklahoma versus Texas, whatever order you want to go in, I will follow you because I get to be there just like we were two years ago. It's really when I first took the iJosh out on the road and started showing you the vantage point that we get. We get to be on the sidelines for these games. And uh, this is, it's, it's perfect pretty much, especially if weather cooperates. It's a perfect scene there at the State Fair. The fact that I will get to watch a half of football and then eat funnel cake and then watch the second half of football, frankly, is a little bit too much for me to go into in great detail because I get a little bit too worked up about it. But man, what a game we have setting up. First, first time both of these teams are undefeated in this game since 2011, once upon a Saturday tour in town. Uh, I was doing some chatting, and by me, I mean I sent producer Jesse to do some chatting with Colin Kennedy and Tom Green and the guys over at 
Sooner Illustrated. Because I've seen Texas in person already this year. I have not seen Oklahoma in person. And here's what I hear a lot. Maybe you're contributing to this. Tell me, tell me if you've heard this before. Yeah, Oklahoma's 4-0, but they haven't played anybody. Our buddy Brandon Walker. Well, our acquaintance Brandon Walker is busy polluting the college football airwaves with not such nonsense, because it may be true, but just such statements lately. Now, I have always been of the opinion that it wouldn't matter. Like, you could lower the Kansas City Chiefs into college football as currently constructed, and if they played four tomato cans, people would say, well, they're no good, they haven't played anyone. Like, the Chiefs are the Chiefs. Or maybe the number one team in the country is Oklahoma, for all we know. They, they play who they play. Like, it doesn't, it doesn't necessarily... It doesn't necessarily negate how good you are if you haven't played anyone. Now, it also doesn't prove anything. So they may be a fraud. They may be a total contender. But eventually, if you play in that conference, if you play in a Power 5 conference, tests will come. Oklahoma has played one top 50 team in the S&P Plus so far this year. And they don't play another one inside the top 30 after this. We told you they had a workable schedule in the preseason. This shouldn't be a surprise to you but they got Texas to deal with this Saturday. What's going to happen in plus territory in this game, I think will ultimately decide the game. Yeah, starting field position is wonderful, and if you could give me a padlock stat that someone's going to average starting on their own 43-yard line, I would lean that way. But in absence of that kind of padlock stat, you tell me what happens once teams get across the 50-yard line. Oklahoma has forced a bunch of field goals this year, so they've been pretty good at this defensively. Texas at times, has struggled offensively when they've gotten past the 50. Now, as you know, and it's going to be a theme on tonight's show, just because you have a season's worth of stats baked into a particular cake, it doesn't always mean the slice you get that Saturday equals what the rest of the cake would lead you to believe it equals. So in other words, you could be plus five turnovers on the season and be minus three one Saturday afternoon, or you could be really subpar in plus territory, scoring touchdowns. But on any given Saturday, you get in there four times and score four touchdowns, and boom, you just beat Oklahoma by double digits. Like, that could be the long and short of it. What's real versus what's a mirage, though? That's what I want to know. Because everyone's out there telling me Texas hitting back. Well, all of a sudden, they beat Bama, and now people are convinced Texas is back, and then all of a sudden, they're, like, tied with Wyoming in the fourth quarter, and, oh, maybe Bama was a fraud. Maybe Texas is not back. Can we please not fluctuate on our opinion of good old Texas week by week, and then with Oklahoma. With Oklahoma, I'm being told around every street corner, yeah, they're 4-0. You know, lady bagged my groceries today and said, thank you, come again. By the way, Oklahoma's a fraud that hadn't played anyone. (sighs) Are they, though? Or is it a real or is it a mirage? I don't know, guys. I don't know. Couples retreat. Um. C.J. Vogel over at Action had a really good stat. Texas's defense has faced four inside the top 70 in scoring. They faced four teams inside the top 70 in scoring so far this year. Oklahoma has faced zero. What does it mean? What does it all mean? I know what it's supposed to lead me to believe, but what does it all really mean? The beauty of this game, aside from the rivalry aspect, aside from the fact that you can smell the state fair outside, aside from the high-level competition, the fact that in many years it's an absolute shootout, last year notwithstanding, is we finally get to learn some stuff. We finally get to learn things that, frankly, Arkansas State, Oklahoma could not teach us. But Texas, Oklahoma is going to teach us a lot. This Saturday is Dylan Gabriel's moment. 
Make no mistake about it. You can talk to me about Texas's defensive front, Quinn Ewers. You can talk to me about Cook. You can talk to me about all those guys. I think Dylan Gabriel is actually the most important player in the game. He missed it last year when they got body bagged at the Cotton Bowl. He wasn't the starting quarterback. He was injured. He does not have a lot of big games started at Oklahoma, and that's how I define games. Brent Venables will tell you every game's a big game as long as we're playing four quarters. Yeah, if you're the head coach at Oklahoma, you better feel that way. I don't coach at Oklahoma. Probably never will. I don't want to rule it out totally. Probably never will. So I'm sitting here telling you I have not seen him in big games in the Crimson and Cream. Well, I do get to see that this Saturday. 75% completion percentage this year. But he hasn't faced anyone. I know, guys. 15 TDs, two interceptions. But he hasn't faced anyone. I know, guys. I hear it. You don't have to type it in the comment section. He's got four rushing touchdowns, too. He hasn't faced anyone. <clears throat> I'm doing this sarcastically because that is what the comment section will devolve into later this week. You know, they've asked him to run a fair amount. And in all seriousness, it's because they don't have a solid running back one right now. They've been sort of running back by committee. They're averaging about four yards per carry. It's not good enough. Over the course of a season, if you want to compete for a national championship, that won't be good enough. Their offensive line struggled at times against Cincy, struggled at times against SMU. This is by far the best front they will face all year and will have faced to this point. And Texas is going to be able to get after them. So what's the answer? I don't think the answer is Dylan Gabriel running around a whole lot. I don't think the answer is Oklahoma's running game is all of a sudden going to find itself against Texas of all teams. So if they're going to win the game, it's going to be Dylan Gabriel throwing the football. And that's why he's the most important player in this game. Quinn Ewers does not have to light it up Saturday. He needs to play very good. He does not have to have a career day. Dylan Gabriel has to have a career day for Oklahoma to win this game. I'm paying attention to some Texas injuries. Jatavian Sanders, that big tight end, uh, leads all tight ends in receiving yards nationally right now. Questionable, we'll see. Also, uh, Ryan Watts, you see the two guys on the screen here. He's a DB. He's really important because he's got size, and he matches up with Nick Anderson really well. Nick Anderson is a 28 yards per catch guy right now. He's big. He's a red zone mismatch. It greatly helps me if I'm Texas if I've got Ryan Watts playing. Okay, Colin, let's see what the model thinks. Let's talk about what Vegas thinks. The current line is Texas minus six and a half. Pretty close to what our in-house thinking is. We go over seven, so we got Texas minus seven and a half. The more I look at it, the more I feel the game out, the more I think Texas it feels like they're a year ahead of where Oklahoma is. And so there's a path, and I could paint you one for Oklahoma, but I wouldn't lean it. I lean Texas to win the game, and at six and a half, I lean Texas to cover in the game. And remember, two years ago, I'm at this thing, and Texas gets this huge lead, and then they wilt in the second half, and they did that a number of times. That is not Texas now. It's no, it's no guarantee they're going to dominate late in the game, but they are a totally different program, not just team, but program, than they used to be in the second half. So if I get Texas with a lead, Late third quarter, early fourth quarter, I feel really good about my odds. Speaking of odds, these are the two odds on favorites to win the Big 12 championship. Texas number one, OU number two. Um, I'd be interested if OU did win this game to see how those odds flipped or whether they did flip. I imagine they would. But remember, we're just taking the top two teams in this conference to play for the title. So the odds right now would strongly indicate maybe we'll see this game again. How beautiful. Is it that right now in conference play, we've got four undefeateds and Neil Brown in West Virginia is one of them? Mm. 
Also, how beautiful is this t-shirt Colin's about to show you? The Once Upon a Saturday Tour headed to Dallas. When I announced this Saturday or Sunday night, the shirt started to fly out off the shelves to the point where Monday morning Warehouse texted me and said, uh, we just smashed a 24-hour record. And that does not surprise me because Texas and OU are big viewer bases of ours. This shirt's available for one week. If you're listening on podcast, just picture one of the greatest shirts you've ever seen in your life and one of the greatest shirts you've ever worn in your life. I kid you not, and this is happening every week now, I'm walking along the sideline at Jordan-Hare Stadium and about four or five times Saturday, you guys called my name, I look over, bam, once upon a Saturday shirt. It is the item of the fall. I don't think I'm stretching it when I'm saying that. It is the item of the fall. But unlike other items where they just throw it at you and throw it at you and throw it at you, nope, I'm going to tell you right now, this is the last time I'm mentioning it on the show tonight, and it's available one week and one week only to commemorate our trip to the Cotton Bowl, the real one, not the bougie one they have over at Jerry World at the end of the year. This is the real deal Cotton Bowl. And come Saturday, my social accounts will just turn into Cotton Bowl propaganda accounts because I am that in love with the building. So we're looking forward to being out there Saturday. Cannot wait. 11 a.m. local time kickoff. Texas to win. Texas to cover is my pick. Prove me wrong, Oklahoma. Just don't put it in the hype video if you do. Next up, same state, no less. Next up, Bama at Texas A&M. It's a 3.30 Eastern kick on CBS this Saturday. A lot of folks thought we were going to be at this game. Uh, it was a 55-45 sort of thing, but we chose Red River. But this is where you better get Alabama. I strongly feel like Alabama is facing their toughest remaining test this Saturday in this game. A lot of folks out there pull against Alabama. Pretty much you got Bama fans and then the rest of the world roots against them. Uh, that's the price for being the king as long as they've been the king. Well, if this is their toughest test, then that means they're on upset alert, right? I don't even call it upset alert. When you're favored by under a field goal, it's, it's a coin flip. It's not upset alert anything. It's not an upset if Texas A&M wins this game. I, um, I cannot overstate how radically the tone shifts four ways. It was one of those classic four-way tone shifters, as Meemaw would call it, that we've got coming up Saturday. If Bama wins the thing, they will have faced the most physical team they'll face the rest of the way in the most hostile environment they'll face the rest of the way. And that will be two weeks in a row where they face stiff competition and won. And people will say Alabama's once again a prime contender for the SEC and beyond. If Bama loses, I don't think you're ready for how toxic that conversation will be around Tuscaloosa, but I think you get exactly where I'm going with that. If Texas A&M wins, they are the favorite in the SEC West. Period. End of sentence, case closed. And if they lose, I don't think you're ready for how toxic the conversation in College Station will be, particularly around Jimbo Fisher. Because what they'll say, and they wouldn't be wrong in saying this, what they'll say is, you know, losing to Bama, that's understandable. Why are we a two-loss team right now? Why did Miami hang half a hundred on us? How did we let that happen? How are we once again barely above 500 as we, as we just get into October? Mark my words, four-way tone shifter right here. Alabama's offensive line faces their final test Saturday. Now, you may think, what in the world are you talking about? It's early October. How's that a final test? Because they can't afford to lose the game, and it's the most vulnerable unit on this team. That's why it's their final test. They're not undefeated. They've already got a loss. There is zero margin for error. Their back is not against a wall. Their back is up against a cliff. And if they get pushed back any further, it's just 
It's a long way down. It's a great song by Goo Goo Dolls. It's on the Twister soundtrack. Long way down. Look it up, kids. But also, it's a long way down, and I don't think the numbers necessarily favor this team, but I'll tell you what that means. That just means you have to be a version of yourselves you haven't been so far this year. That's really all that means. They are second worst. So, so here's the mismatch. If you want to talk about what paper says, this stuff where games aren't played, paper says this doesn't look good for Alabama. Second worst sack rate allowed in FBS. A&M's defense, conversely, the best sack rate in all of college football. And they got home field at their back. So that sounds like a mismatch, doesn't it? Second most tackles for loss in college football. Texas A&M as well. Bama struggled with it all year. You want to you set yourself up behind the chains consistently Saturday? You want to count on throwing the football in that environment to win? If those numbers hold, that's the position they'll be in. A&M secondary. Their numbers look good. Okay, I think they're, they're Jesse, they're like ninth in the country in pass yards allowed. So that's good. That's, that's a wonderful number on the surface. But when you dive deeper, you realize when you throw it 30 or more yards in the air, against that A&M secondary, the Tyler Van Dyke protocol, as we would call it, they're a little more vulnerable. Can Alabama do that? And I'm not asking, can Milrow physically do it? Of course he can. He throws a beautiful deep ball. Will he have time to? Will their receivers get open consistently enough? Those are the questions. In other words, I'm circling A&M's biggest defensive vulnerability. Is this the team? Is this Alabama team capable of exploiting and exposing that? If they are, they'll win the game. Alabama, actually, if they can expose that, they're capable of pulling away, just like Miami did. I don't know if they're capable of exploiting it, and that's why I seesawed on this thing all day. Immunity. Uh, Jimbo Fisher, Bobby Petrino. One thing you need to know about them is they have absolute confidence in Max Johnson. So America is going to probably pull up to the table around Friday afternoon and start thinking about this game, and they're going to say, oh, a backup quarterback against Nick Saban's defense? Uh-uh. Jimbo Fisher can't win the big one? Uh-uh. Bobby Petrino, the scarred-up face guy? Uh-uh. That's the casual for you. Uh, the more advanced college football mind, which we sometimes pretend to be around here, understands two things. Max Johnson's about 37 years old. He's got a lot of experience. He is not your, your Meemaw's backup, in other words. And secondly, they're not going to hide him. Fisher and Petrino will not hide Max Johnson against Alabama Saturday. They will put the game in his hands, and they won't be terrified to do it either. Deep ball is also a key for Texas A&M. Quinn Ewers in Texas had some success, didn't they? Throwing the ball down the field against Alabama. In fact, anybody who's beaten Alabama found out how to throw the ball down the field and down the middle of the field. In most cases, that's where the success has had. I was at this game last year. I was on the field for this game last year. Evan Stewart, he caught one of those deep balls. Moose Mohammed, he caught one of those deep balls. And I had stats and info check. But turns out both of those players still play for Texas A&M. Anaya Smith does too. And he didn't play in this game last year. And he says it's personal for him this year. I don't care how personal it is. I, I couldn't care less if Anaya Smith has never heard of Nick Saban or Alabama. He's a good enough football player to single-handedly change the outcome just by himself, just by showing up. A&M's offensive line improving. I think it's safe to say they've been improving week over week, pass pro and run blocking, Alabama's front seven against them. Don't think for a second Bama can't take this game over defensively. Sounds like I'm down on them. I'm not. I'm actually sky high on Alabama's defense. That is another reason why I seesawed on picking this game one way or another all day. 
Texas took the physical fight to Alabama. Texas was the more physical team. Texas actually made Bama look like the road team in their own building. I've never seen it before. Texas A&M's fully capable of doing that too. You know, Texas A&M's got those kind of horses too. That's what they'll have to do Saturday. I, um, I know what past Alabama teams would do in this situation, and it may not be pretty. I know what they'd do. They would, they would go in, and they would lock the door behind them, and they'd be the one that emerged. Two would go in, they'd lock the door, and one would emerge, and it would be Bama because they could beat you in a fight. And I'm not sure if this turns into that kind of fight Saturday, if Alabama wins that. And if that upsets some people, so be it. Um, there's an easy way to shut folks up when they say that, and they hadn't done it so far this year. Now, as much as I say that, I think back to last week, and I think back to the second half of that game, it's the best Bama's looked all year. That's what gave me, again, a reason to seesaw. Because if I package up not just the execution, but if I package up the speed and physicality they played with in the second half against Ole Miss, I'll take that, man. You don't have to light it up offensively. I'll take that because you don't have to score a ton if you play that way. So with that in mind, Colin, could I please see what the model thinks? And let's talk about what Vegas thinks. Bama minus two and a half right now is the number out in the desert. But it all, depending on what state you live in, it could just be on your mobile device. Uh, the model is even closer than that. We got Bama minus one and a half. I think this is Texas A&M's time. And I think they are a surging football team. I think Bama may be as well, but I don't know if that second half last week is just a second half last week. And I keep going back to this. I keep going back to Bama on the road the last couple of years and how they haven't looked like vintage Bama teams. I'd be happy to change my tune on that. They've got to change it. And so until I see it, I'm not changing my tune. I'm taking Texas A&M to win the game. Therefore, I obviously think Texas A&M covers the game. I cannot stress enough how little confidence I have in this. This will be a viewership-only special for me. There will not be a dime placed on this game. I promise you, well, I virtually promise you, we will either lead the show with it Sunday night or it will be right near the top of the show because this one has major consequences. Uh, Jesse told me today Texas A&M's not ranked, which is whatever. We'll do the JP poll later. I'll show you where they should be in a power rating. Uh, this right here is Bama's toughest test remaining. I know who else they got to play. I know they got Tennessee. I know they got LSU. I know where they play them, too. And I know how physical Texas A&M can be. Now, that's no guarantee they're going to follow through on it, but this right here is the matchup. This is the toughest one. Alabama knows it. That coaching staff knows it. Practice this week in Tuscaloosa is reflecting it. They know. Sledgehammer fight in College Station Saturday. If they survive this one, I don't think Bama's losing the rest of the way. But I just picked them to lose Saturday. So we'll see. Double paper pop. We'll see. This is Tony Kornheiser's show. I'm Tony. We expected someone else. So what exactly is the show about? Hmm, I don't know. It's a sports show nominally. Football's over, but we're finally at a point where things matter in college basketball and baseball season is on deck. Greatest three words in the English language, pitchers and catchers. We have some of the best voices come on and explain what matters or what makes an upset, like Ryan does. <laughs> Nine over eight. No, that's not an upset. No, yeah, it is, Bob. And if you're lucky, I might just tell you about my search for discounted sleep pants or my worries about what my dog just ate. Listen on the Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. 
MTV's official Challenge podcast is back for another season. And so are we. I'm Tori Deal. And I'm Anissa Ferreira. The wait is over, guys. All Stars 4 is finally here. And this season takes it to a whole new level. Old school legends, modern power players, and ex-lovers are all competing in Cape Town, South Africa for the prize of $300,000. And we're going to be right here along with you fans covering every episode on the podcast. Listen to MTV's official challenge podcast wherever you get your podcasts. Academy Sports and Outdoors, they love them in College Station, Texas. There's an academy on every street corner down there. You got to love that. They haven't even gotten you guys a Bucky's there yet. But we got Academy Sports and Outdoors there. One-stop shop for a canopy if you need it, a cooler, a grill, big league chew. Yeah, all of the above and then some. Tents, you guys about to do some camping this fall? Maybe you're just going to, I don't know, play, play fall softball somewhere if you live in a southernmost portion of the United States. Just go to Academy Sports and Outdoors. You need, you need clothing? Go to Academy Sports and Outdoors. They got white t-shirts. They're in multiple brands. I know they do because they have pretty much everything you need. If you can't get there in person, academy.com has you hooked up. And the reason I sound so passionate about this is, well, number one, I know my audience and I know what you guys need in your life. I know they've got your hookup and they let us do this show for free. That's why you don't have to pay for this. That's why there's no bundle. There's no subscription package. There's no paywall like everything else we watch these days. No, this show right here is free as long as you got internet, thanks to Academy Sports and Outdoors. And it's been that way for a while and we appreciate them. So in turn, just, just call, t- toss a couple of dimes their way when you're out next time. If you can't get there in person, academy.com will hook you up. <sighs> I can't believe this is still happening. Not, not Academy. I'm not talking about them anymore. I can't believe this is still happening, but it is. And I, I just take a long sigh, and I'm going to do it here. Let me take a sip from the chalice. You know this brings me no pleasure. If you're watching on YouTube, you already see the question on the screen. So, as you know, I'm a very humble person. As you know, the last thing I like to do is say, I told you so. Okay, that is just well known. Those two facts are well known about me. But sometimes that gets weaponized against me. Sometimes people take my niceness and they just, can you believe it? They try and walk all over me. And I got to set a good example. Bradley's in the other room and I want a better future for him. I know he looks up to me. And so, I don't want him looking up to me and seeing me let people walk all over us as a staff. And so I opened Twitter today, and Marcus sent me this. But it might as well have been 500 more of you, because I kid you not, I got this like 500 times over the past weekend. Marcus said, I guess you don't have much to say about your boy Dion now, do you? I got every bit as much to say about Dion Sanders now as I did two weeks ago. I sat here and I thought about this for a solid 36 hours. It's why we didn't talk about it Sunday. We talked about the USC game, but I didn't address all the trash talk that was going on towards me, of all people. Me. I've never even been to Boulder. So I have no clue what it means. I stared at it and stared at it and stared at it. I have no clue what he's talking about. It's just proof. Not everyone is paid state material. They make JUCOs for a reason. Some folks are JUCO at best. Go. Try it out for two years and reapply two years from now. I got like 500 of these. This is not isolated. If it was isolated, I wouldn't talk about it. So anyway, what I did with Marcus and the Marcuses of the world is I created one reply and I just copied and pasted it to like 400 people. 
And the reply reads as follows. Are you listening, Marcus? Quote, what have I said about Dion in Colorado that was inaccurate? Unquote. And I sent, 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 sent. I didn't get a single logic-based or truth-based response. And I know that shocks you, but let's walk through it anyway. This is dealing with casuals. We are, we, are, we are in a casual world these days. The first and most common refrain in the replies was, well, you just hyped them up too much. I picked Oregon to beat them. I picked USC to beat them. I picked TCU to beat them, and I was wrong. I've hyped them up. Jesse, do you have those numbers, by the way? I'm the one who hyped them up. Have you seen the numbers that this team has done when they play on TV? They played at TCU. That was the second most watched game that week. They played in Nebraska, second most watched game. Guys, the past three weeks, Colorado has been in the most watched game in America, and that includes a game against Colorado State that went to like 2 a.m. on the East Coast. I didn't hype them up. You did. You're the one watching them. You know, I don't know how we define hype. I really don't. Like talking about what people are interested in? Is that what you're talking about? Now, I will grant you this, Marcus and company. There have been some clownish takes on Deion Sanders in Colorado. There have been. We call it the Deion tax on this show. And we've been very intentional about not contributing to the Deion tax. The Deion tax is they're really popular. He's a high-profile figure. Some folks who are opportunist and casual enough in nature and drive by our sport normally have parked in the driveway, started to run their mouth about our sport because they know if they say Dion, if the word Dion or Colorado comes out of their mouths, people will just clap like seals. <laughs> okay, we have not trafficked in that, nor will we. We were talking about him in the spring. We talked about it in the summer. We've never talked about it just to talk about it. We've always had a particular angle or things have been in the news. Otherwise, I hadn't hyped that dude up one bit. Who in the world needs a guy on YouTube hyping Deion Sanders up for him to be hyped? He's Deion Sanders. He played for the Falcons when I couldn't even walk. Like, Deion Sanders has been hyped as long as Deion Sanders has been Deion Sanders. Secondly, the second most popular response I got was, I told you they couldn't contend. You didn't have to tell me. Vegas putting an over-under of three and a half out was a pretty good indicator. They weren't going to contend for a title. Who said they were? Again, if anyone did, those are the folks to clown on. Those are the folks to dunk on. Because if anyone tried to lead you to believe Colorado was a top 15 team, if anyone tried to lead you to believe Colorado was going to contend for or compete for a conference championship, let alone a college football playoff spot, or a national championship, that's, that's casual, that's clownish, go dunk on it. No one here, nor anyone in their right mind, said that. No one said it. It's like people, people kind of create what they want to have heard in lieu or in absence of it actually being said. Like for every one person who said, hey, Dion and Colorado could win the Pac-12. Like 500 million people said, they're not going to win the Pac-12. Like, they're, they're a surprise. They're really fun to watch, highly entertaining. They're not going to win the Pac-12. It's like I watched one time, can't remember where it was, there was an alleged riot going on. And there was this behind-the-scenes picture of like 500 photographers around one person throwing a bottle. And... All of these outlets run with this one picture that's supposed to encapsulate the riot that happened. There's no riot. 
it was, it was kind of an indictment on a false message being spread. Well, this is the same way. People talk about how, how many folks built Dion in Colorado up as contenders. Hardly anyone did. And so about five voices out there who rightly should be mocked and drugged through the mud have been amplified to, I don't know, reflect like 85% of college football fandom. It's just not the way it is. The number three most popular refrain I got. I told you that stuff doesn't work. I told you Dion's approach wouldn't work. It is working. Who says it's not working? Dion's approach not working is not proven out by them not beating Oregon. Dion's approach not working isn't proven out by him not beating USC. What was the alternative? Which approach would work? They won one game last year. That's the, that's the other approach at Colorado. They tried the other approach. The other approach is what the rest of the Pac-12 wants them to keep trying. Deion Sanders' approach is working. You know what the approach is? Get good players. That's it. Get good players. Well, Josh, you got to develop them. you got to put them in the right position. They've got to execute. Tell you what, go recruit crap and then develop it and put it in the right position and have it execute. It wins one game. That sounds harsh. If you think it's harsh, you didn't watch Colorado football last year. Judging by the ratings, you did not. You are watching it this year. There wasn't any Travis Hunter or Shadur Sanders walking around Boulder, Colorado, unless they were on the visiting team last year. His approach does work. What in the world are you talking about? Because they didn't win 10 games or won't win 10 games this year, it doesn't work? Again, these are people who recalibrate their expectations because they were made fools of. Folks picked TCU to beat them. I did. But the difference is when, he, when, when Dion in Colorado beat TCU, I just said, wow, they proved me wrong. Golf clap for Colorado. Well, not everyone did that because some folks are too prideful about things as dumb as picks in football to admit they're wrong. So instead, what they do is they say, TCU's going to smoke Colorado. Colorado just beat TCU. Yeah, well, they won't win the Pac-12. Well, that's quite a leap you made there, friend. And then they don't win the Pac-12. Told you. You told me what? Told you they wouldn't win the Pac-12. No one suggested otherwise. Why are you yelling, by the way? What's got you so... <sighs> is there an underlying issue here? It sounds like there's a lot of rage built up that Deion Sanders nor Colorado necessarily put there. Are you okay? Cedric, are you okay? Freddie, are you okay? Marcus, are you okay? I know, um, I know the Marcuses of the world actually like to think they know me. It's normally the you're an idiot crowd, Y-O-U-R, you're an idiot. In reality, I know this crowd. I know Marcus better than Marcus knows me. Marcus made a lot of allegations that were patently false, like I will Venmo $500 to the Marcus Foundation if you provide me one bit of evidence that I hyped Dion in Colorado against Oregon or USC, that I hyped them at all. Uh, talking about them is not hyping them. No, Marcus, I know you. You're probably just an unhappy individual. And you looked at Deion Sanders going to Colorado, and you listened to him, and he rubbed you the wrong way, which is totally fine. But then you took it personal, even though Dion couldn't pick you out of a lineup, you could pick him out of a lineup. And so he is living rent-free in your head, and anyone who talks about him is guilty of hyping Dion Sanders. No, I'm guilty of being entertained by a guy who's doing it a different way. I am guilty of being entertained by it. I am guilty of rooting for him. If you call that unprofessional as a journalist, let me remind you, I've never called myself a journalist. I just got a YouTube channel. I got a college football show. It does pretty well because of you guys. I appreciate it. But make no mistake, I've got some favorites, and Dion's one of them, and I pull for him. 
So there it is. I'll still be called a Dion hater somehow in the comments on this particular video. But yeah, Marcus, I'm going to pray for you tonight. And I would encourage the listening and viewing audience to do the same. So friends, that's how we undress a casual. Next up, and also every Tuesday night, we like to do something on this show. Colin, we, this is not your end point yet. Um, if you're new around here, sometimes I give that instruction to Director Colin because Director Colin chops the show up like slices of bread. So, so pretend the whole show is a loaf and Director Colin slices it into individual slices based on the segments we do and he puts the individual segments on the YouTube channel. So some of you just like to watch individual slices. Some of you like the whole loaf. I'm a whole loaf, go, a whole loaf guy myself, but to each his and her own. So we do the JP poll every Tuesday night. And this is a, it's an unmitigated disaster. Because the less people know about the show, the more they talk about the JP poll, which is fine. But I also get accused of clickbait, even though we put it on social media. And I don't even know what a Twitter click is for the life of me. The next dime I make off a Twitter click will be the first dime I've ever made off a Twitter click. But nonetheless, we are accused of clickbaiting and mainly by people who don't know what they're talking about. So I'm going to tell you for the umpteenth time, as Meemaw would say, I'm going to tell you what this is and what it isn't. I got, actually, I've got big problems with the AP poll, but I just never talk about it. I don't look at it. So that's how I handle the, the AP poll. Well, in lieu of the AP poll and that methodology, we invented our own. And it's not rocket science. We, uh, we have a model and we have certain criteria that we weight and factor. And we have a power rating that's put on each team. And it's sole purpose. The sole purpose of that number is to be equal to what an odds maker in Vegas would have pump out from a computer to make his point spreads. So all we care about is favorability on a neutral field. And sometimes a team beats you. Like, for instance, Duke beat Clemson in week one handedly. If they played again the next week, Clemson would have been favored again. So you could either look at Clemson being power rated above Duke after they lose and say, that makes no sense. Or you can understand what a power rating is. Like if I were an AP voter, I would not put Clemson ahead of Duke after week one. But if I were running a power rating and I didn't want to be taken to the woodshed by sharp betters, you better believe I'm going to have Clemson ahead of Duke even after week one. Because not everything that you need to know about the strength of a team is borne out over four quarters on a football field on Saturday. So with that in mind, now, Colin, here's your end point. JP poll, week six. These are not rankings. These are power ratings. And if you want to know what that means, go watch the whole show and rewind to right before this point in the show. I need to tell you, before we get into the top 25, I am so proud of Neil Brown. West Virginia is in the top 30. They're not quite in the top 25. But this was a dude who everyone was convinced would lose his job this year. And instead, they're undefeated in conference play. They're 3-1 and one in their bye week. They are in the top 30 of the JP poll, which I never thought I'd say this year. And their only loss is to Penn State. So if they just scheduled a cream puff week one, maybe that'd be 4-0. But nevertheless, hot seat talk completely cooled on Neil Brown. Good for him. Good for West Virginia. I wanted to mention that because we couldn't get it in the show the other night. Okay, now, 25-1. to 1. Let's dive into it. I have some bones to pick with the way the model has power rated these teams. Remember, if you're pissed, it's not on me. It's on the model. I just want the credit. I'm not interested in the blame. Start at 25. And um, Louisville is at 25. First time we've had Louisville in the power ratings all year. They play Notre Dame. 
this coming Saturday. Very much looking forward to that one. Third straight high emotion leverage spot for Notre Dame in as many weeks. Louisville on long rest by 24 hours. Uh, Kansas State's back in the top 25. They've kind of been fluctuating there all year in the 20 to 30 range. UCLA, they got Washington State this week. They're at number 23. Utah dropped uh, seven spots. They're at number 22. I don't trust the model on Utah. I'm just telling you. The model has no grasp on Utah. It is, it is anti-Ute, and I can't explain why. Probably a virus. I can't explain why. LSU is still 21. People are going to have problems with this. This is not a ranking. That's how I explain it. LSU would still be favored over a lot of these teams. And you may say, well, that doesn't mean anything. They were favored against, LS- against Ole Miss. I know. Well, what do you mean you know? They lost against Ole Miss. I know. I picked Ole Miss. Well, how can you have them at number 21? I'm telling you, they'd still be favored. Doesn't mean they'd win the games. They'd just be favored. That's all we care about. If you want something else, go look at the AP poll. Top 20. Let's go. LSU at number 21. Kentucky is at number 20. And they play Georgia this Saturday. Now, let me warn you. Let me warn you. If they go into Athens as a 14-and-a-half-point dog and they lose by 16, Kentucky is not going to fall. We're not punishing them for doing exactly what the model and, in this case, Vegas says they should do. North Carolina is at 19. Miami is at 18, virtually unchanged. That's where pretty much those teams were last week. Ole Miss hiked up seven spots here. And Oregon State is at 16. And these are some really good teams because there's not a lot of gap right now, point-wise, in the 10 to 20 range. Let's take a look at the top 15. Tennessee down two spots. Uh, I'm not going to tell you Brew McCoy has a massive value as a player, but Brew McCoy, in our eyes, is about a three-quarter a point-per-game player. I don't even want to try and explain how that point assignation works to people unfamiliar. Most odds makers would not tell you he's worth that. I disagree. In fact, I've disagreed for a long time with what higher level wide receivers are worth in terms of point total per game. Anyway, that's boring. It did impact Tennessee. They beat South Carolina handedly. They lost a big time player. So they fell slightly. They're number 15. Clemson's at 14 as a two loss team. Advanced metrics guys out there all over the place still like Clemson. And we kind of do too. We got him at 14. We got Notre Dame at 13 and F, or, uh, Texas A&M at 12. Now, A&M's not ranked in the AP right now, which is, it's whatever. I am confidently telling you Texas A&M would be favored over several teams in the AP top 25. So whether they deserve to be there or not, I don't care because this is not the AP. In odds-making world, A&M's at 12. USC is at number 11. Now we get to the top 10. We got Florida State 10. Now, if you follow polls, Florida State looks low, right? If you follow some of the advanced metrics folks, we've actually got Florida State higher than they do. In fact, what if I told you a lot of them still have Clemson ahead of Florida State, and Clemson's got two losses, and one of them is to Florida State in their own building. Now, what kind of pretzel does that tie your mind in? It's a funny world out here, kids. Oklahoma is at nine, and I can assure you Texas is going to be up here somewhere. So we got a top 10 matchup in the Cotton Bowl out there in the Red River Shootout Saturday. Penn State is at number eight, just like they were last week. Washington, they didn't really fall. I mean, falling two spots means like falling a tenth of a point. So Washington's at seven. 
Bama is at six. They've, they've pretty much been there for the last couple of weeks. Top five time. Georgia is down to five. Georgia was our number one, and it was, it's still the AP number one, I think. Um, we got four teams we'd pick over Georgia on a neutral field right now, and Oregon's one of them. Now, that's a little difficult to swallow immunity when you think about the fact that Oregon faced Georgia on a neutral field just over 12 months ago, didn't they? And they're still cleaning duck blood off the wall of Mercedes-Benz Stadium. So the model is sitting here not caring about that at all, telling you, who cares? 12 months later, Oregon, favorite on a neutral field. Oh, okay, model. That's nice. That's not, maybe we'll see that matchup down the road. I'm really high on Oregon now. Don't get me wrong. Michigan has vaulted. So I don't know what the model all of a sudden saw in Michigan now that they beat Nebraska. But um, Michigan's up there now with where most of America has them. So maybe the model course corrected on Michigan. But we got them number three now. But we still got Ohio State ahead of Michigan. And that game's going to be played at the end of the year, and it's going to be in Ann Arbor, so I don't really care what people think would happen on a field today or tomorrow. Uh, we're, we're very high on Ohio State. But Ohio State was number one last week, and they're not this week. Texas has taken over the number one spot in the JP poll for the first time since I've done the JP poll, not just this year. And here we are. As far as I'm concerned, Texas is back as of October 3rd, 2023. Some of you were waiting for them to win the Big 12. Some of them, some of you were waiting to make the playoff or to win the national championship. Nope. From my lips, speaking into existence, as soon as Texas becomes number one in the JP poll, that's when they're back. Texas is number one. They're back. If you guys lose Saturday and you embarrass me, I will never forgive you. This model bought into Texas blindly all year last year, and I was mocked. I was ridiculed. And now here we are again. Not much has changed, except it has, because I think the quality of team Texas and Steve Sarkeesian are putting on the field has changed. So I'm going to go out there Saturday, and I'm going to stand right there on the sideline. I may even go over to the Oklahoma sideline so it doesn't look like favoritism, because it's not, although I would like to be right. But he, I, mm, mm, Texas won Ohio State too. Welcome to, what, 2005? Welcome to 2005. It, it just feels like mid-2000s-y. It's beautiful. Ohio State was 02, I think, when they won that title. Then we had Texas USC in 05. And Ohio State was a mainstay. There were a player there in the 2000s. Texas was too. A lot of these brands that um, I was told, Florida State among them, a lot of these brands I was told was, were just going to disappear. And college football had passed them by, whatever in the world that means. They're right here again. It's a good year to be a college football fan. But then again, every year is a good year to be a college football fan. I welcome criticism of the JP poll in the live chat. I welcome it in the comment section. Just please understand what we're doing here before you talk about who's ranked above who. Nobody's ranked above anybody because they're not rankings. The baseball season is in full swing, which means you need to listen to Fantasy Baseball Today, part of the CBS Sports Podcast Network. 
Join Scott White, Chris Towers, and me, Frank Stample, every weekday as we recap every player from every game. We'll talk waiver wire ads, drops, players to trade for, prospects who could make an impact, and everything in between. Make sure to download and follow on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, the Odyssey app, and everywhere else podcasts are found. They're watching us in Austin, Texas. What do you know about that? They're watching us in Vail, Colorado. They're watching us in Tampa, Florida. Thank you guys so much for that. Let's get back into predicting some games. And if you're watching live, only one out of five of you have liked this video so far. I just humbly, I think we can do better. And I know we will. So click that thumbs up button. Kentucky plays Georgia Saturday. Hmm. Upset alert. Dare we say it? This is a clinic. This game, before it's even been played, is a clinic on the difference between rankings and power ratings. Since we were talking about the JP poll earlier, you want a lesson in odds making? You want a lesson in why Vegas looks the way it looks when you fly into it, especially at night? Just beautiful. All those bright lights. Well, those folks didn't pay for that. You did. By saying things like, uh oh. Georgia struggled, struggled mightily against a bad Auburn team. Kentucky just boat raced Florida. Ooh, Kentucky, man. I think they're going to go into Athens, and they may win outright Saturday. And then the folks who built that city out there in the desert, they say, you do? Well, how about this? We'll give you 14 and a half points. They don't even have to win. Free money, right? Free money. It may be free money, just not for the entity you think, because that stuff comes out of your pocket more times than it goes into your pocket. Anyway, that's not necessarily the way I'm picking the game. I'm just telling you, one week proves nothing. It proves nothing. I know you saw a snapshot of these teams last week. You may see a totally different snapshot this week. Kentucky held Georgia to 16 points in this game last year. Do you remember that? 16 points. I was in the Rose Bowl of all places. I remember watching this game on TV in the bowels of the Rose Bowl and what glorious bowels they are. Out of context, late kick later. This is why they brought Devin Leary to Lexington. And he has not lit the world on fire this year. That's the Kentucky quarterback for those unfamiliar. I know he has not rained touchdowns all over the place, the likes of which you thought he would. But like I just said, whether it's a team or an individual, I don't care what he's done so far this year. I see every Saturday guys play out of their mind for four quarters, and I've got a guy up in the broadcast booth saying, well, who would have ever expected this coming into today based off of his season stats? Stuff happens all the time. It just needs to happen for Devin Leary Saturday. I know what you're thinking. Josh, they they ran it up on Florida, and he didn't even throw for 70 yards. What team have you been watching? They are not running the ball like that on Georgia. I promise you, they will not run the ball like that on Georgia. Georgia's run defense will decide this game. Georgia's defense is 67th in rush yards per attempt allowed. Makes them sound vulnerable, right? In fact, I saw the same thing you did last week, or maybe we didn't. Because you watched the Auburn game, but you looked at that box score and you said, whoo, Auburn ran for over 200. In fact, Auburn had over 200 on the ground By the start of the fourth quarter, I was there, guys. I stood on the sideline. I watched it. You know what else I watched? I watched Peyton Thorne, of all people, at quarterback, running the ball, of all things, racking up a lot of that yardage. And so I asked myself, 
Is Devin Leary going to do that? And the answer is no, he's not. So you know who it falls on? It falls on Ray Davis, who is a stud. It falls on traditional ground and pound. That's what it falls on. And they do creative things. Please don't misunderstand me. I'm not calling it antiquated. I'm not calling it old school. In theory, uh, philosophically it is. They are very, very advanced and good at what they do. But at the end of the day, if you're telling me it comes down to Kentucky's dudes up front versus Georgia dudes, I will take Georgia's dudes. I'm not telling you they're stuffing the run. I'm not telling you it's Ray Davis 30 carries for 38 yards or anything like that. But I'm also telling you, they are, they are going to struggle mightily to run it for 125, 150 Saturday. That's my feel, okay? So if that is the case, it's not Kentucky running to victory in Athens, Georgia in a primetime game. What it'll be is them running the ball good enough to set up Devin Leary to make some plays through the air. And if he can, they can compete in this game and they can win this game. If he can't, they can't. But I do not think it comes down to Kentucky's ground game. Although that's the talking point, and it will be through the broadcast, that ain't it. Devin Leary's the player. That's who's got to win the game for him. Kentucky's defense, 10th in rush yards per game, 62nd in pass yards per game allowed. That means throw the ball on them. And that means Carson Beck's got to do it again. So I know we're talking about the ground game a lot out there. I'm sorry. That's not how I see this game. I think about Georgia's coaching staff after what we watched Brock Bowers do against Auburn. Everybody praises Brock Bowers. What I would do if I were, if I were a Georgia coach is I'd look at the rest of the pass catchers in that, in that bus on the way back to the airport, and I would say, how about someone stepping up and helping 19 here? How about someone else being open every now and then? How about someone else popping on the stat sheet? There will be plays to be had against that Kentucky secondary. I, unlike apparently some folks in the Georgia community, I think Carson Beck kind of came alive last Saturday, especially in the second half. Thought he made a number of good plays. I think it'll be on Leary instead of the ground game to beat Georgia on Kentucky side. I think it'll be on Carson Beck. I don't think Georgia will run the ball all that well against Kentucky. I think it'll be on Beck to win the game for Georgia. And um, I think Beck can. I'm interested to see if Leary can. Let's take a look at what the model thinks, Colin. Let's take a look at what Vegas thinks. Georgia minus 14 and a half. I think Georgia's going to play their best game of the year Saturday. I think they're going to beat Kentucky. I think they'll cover in the process. And I'm really high on Kentucky. I just think that you beat Florida last week, and that was wonderful. Georgia struggled against Auburn, and that is not wonderful for them. They're coming home. They don't have a loaded home schedule at all, and those season ticket holders are none too pleased about it. But all of a sudden, you're tossing them a top 20 matchup out of nowhere, and you're doing them the benefit of getting hyped up because you just beat Florida, and you're coming in probably playing a style of ball very conducive to this Georgia defense shining against you. And I think that there is probably more to be had through the air against Kentucky's defense than at first glance we see. I think Georgia's actually going to figure out a way to win and cover. Now, we also know something else, don't we? We know I picked Florida last week. So what does it all really mean? I don't know. I don't know what it really means. I will say that 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 apologies Mark Stoops piece of paper, I never threw it away. So if I need to use it Sunday, I have it on deck. It's ready to use Sunday. And look, we, hey, no one would be happier than me if Kentucky goes in there and beats Georgia because what kind of chaos does that throw the Sunday show into? 
And I've been wrong before. I'll be wrong again. Those usually make the most entertaining Sunday shows. So whatever happens, see you here Sunday. We're not done with the show. I'm just, that's, that's kind of my wrap on that particular pick. There's another game that's happening in primetime Saturday night. And uh, we warned you about this team. We warned you about Louisville, didn't we? Notre Dame at Louisville, Saturday, 7.30 Eastern on ABC. Do we have a pre-padlock stat here? I don't normally lead these prediction segments like this, but Audric Estime, that running back for Notre Dame, do you realize right now he has 10 rushes of 20-plus yards this year? 10 of them of 20-plus yards already. Producer Jesse tells me late in the day, Audric Estime's 10 carries of 20-plus yards is more than Oklahoma, Florida, Ohio State, and Penn State combined. The entire teams, four of them combined. And he's got more carries of 20-plus yards than those teams put together. So he's good. Notre Dame's good. But Notre Dame, man, they've been taken to the wire two weeks in a row. They lost one of them against Ohio State. They won against Duke. And now they face... What? Yes? Are we hearing this right? Undefeated Louisville. Explosive plays will decide this game. Louisville. Here we go. Maybe another pre-padlock stat. Louisville is ninth offensively in plays of 20-plus yards. They're second in plays of 30-plus yards. They are first in America in plays of 40-plus yards. Notre Dame, also top 10 offensively in all three of those categories. I looked at that alone at about 3 o'clock today, and they had to hide my phone from me to keep me from betting like nine or 10 units on the over in this game, which is 53 and a half, by the way. I still lean the over. Have not bet it quite yet, but I will be making a pick on the game momentarily. You know, I've been told Sam Hartman has been dipping. Not tobacco. I don't know how he lives his life up there. I know he has some interesting social posts earlier today, but I don't know how he's living his life up there. I'll just say that Notre Dame quarterback is being accused of falling off a little bit. You know, not nearly as productive. Well, what if I told you he's faced the number 11 and number five pass defenses the last two weeks? Ohio State and on the road at Duke. Not the easiest things in the world to do. I think there are going to be a lot of folks, if you talk to them about this game this week, who claim to be hardcore college football types. And they're going to say, you know, Notre Dame's got the quarterback edge. Stop them right there. Take their phone from them and say, Name me the Louisville quarterback. This is how you expose casualty. Folks talking about stuff they don't really know anything about. Notre Dame's got the quarterback edge. Yeah, who's the other quarterback? Oh, uh, you, you know. You know who the Louisville quarterback is. Really? No, I don't. Tell me. The, the kid. You know the guy. It's Jack Plummer. That's Jack Plummer. Yeah, that, that Jack Plummer. By way of Cal, by way of Purdue, that Jack Plummer. Notre Dame may very well have the quarterback edge here. But one magical evening by Mr. Plummer in Louisville, Kentucky could change it all. Notre Dame is fourth in pass yards per game, 52nd in rush yards per game defensively. So I'm thinking to myself, did Louisville run the ball to win the game here? I don't know, man, because they, they ugh, 29 attempts for 20 yards against NC State. I don't think they're going to have much success on the ground. It's got to be Jack Plummer. It's got to be. And they are fourth. Like I said, Notre Dame fourth in pass yards per game allowed. So when I tell you I almost bet that over, this is where I got hesitation. I got strong hesitation. 
The externals matter here. I really think they do. Like you could X and O this thing. You can stat category this thing to death. Bottom line is this is college football. Those are still 20-year-olds. And Notre Dame, you face Ohio State and have that game come down to the wire. Then you face Duke on the road and have it come down to the wire. Then you go on the road again. So back-to-back road stretches in general are tough in college football. But when you've totally expended yourself two weeks in a row and you go play another team's Super Bowl, and it's Louisville, and they're on extended rest. They played Friday last week, so they got long rest. And you've been burning the candle at both ends. I think that matters. Let's take a look at what the odds say. Let's take a look at what the model says. You know, Notre Dame's favored by six and a half. We think the wrong team's favored. We think Louisville minus one is the number the model spit out. I'm going to go with it. I think Louisville's going to win the game outright. Big upset. I guess you want to call it that. The model wouldn't see it as an upset. Um, Dead storm the field. You know, maybe someone does a swanton bomb front flip off the goalpost up there. Turf feels better to land on probably than grass. Um, Maybe a security guard gives some chick a forearm shiver to the jaw. We saw all of these things happen last week during a field storming, by the way. So I'm going to take Louisville to win. I'm going to take him to cover. I just don't like the spot for Notre Dame. I don't know what to tell you. There are some matchups that favor him. I just don't like the spot for him. And Louisville plus seven is a ramen noodle express best bet, by the way. The number six and a half now, but we betted at seven Sunday night, and I handed it to you Sunday night. Speaking of the ramen noodle express, to close the old show here and uh, make sure that you like and subscribe if you haven't already. To close the show here, I'm going to add two best bets to the said Ramen Noodle Express. So we got Louisville plus seven. It's locked in. We got Texas Tech plus one. It's locked in. We're about to lock two more of these bad boys in. Arizona goes to Southern Cal Saturday. We're taking Arizona plus 21 and a half. Arizona games have been very, very good to us. Baseball was very, very good to Sammy Sosa. Arizona's been very, very good to us. And also... Another team we've had a fair amount of success with, Kent State. We're going to take them plus 26 and a half. They're playing Ohio, I believe. So, Ohio, feel free to win. Just, you know, keep it around three touchdowns or so. Louisville, Texas Tech, Arizona, Kent State. And what do you know? They said it couldn't be done. They said we couldn't do a Tuesday night show in under an hour. But I did it with 26 seconds to spare. Thank you guys so much. Again, make sure you're following on the socials at Late Kick Josh. Like and subscribe until Thursday. For producer Jesse, for director Colin, I'm Josh Pate. Take care. Have a great rest of your evening. God bless.